0: Hey, welcome back to the Barrelproof Baseball Podcast. Um, today, got another whiskey guest. Um, got a lot of whiskey guests recorded during the course of baseball season. A little difficult to get the baseball folks in uh, while they're in season. So, you know, maybe this off we'll pick up some more baseball interviews. But for now, we've been uh, really hammering some whiskey folks, and so now these are—they're uh, all getting released. So today's is yet another one. Um, I'm joined in today's episode by Murphy Quint. So Murphy is from Cedar Ridge Distillery out of Iowa. Um, so this is kind of the, this is like the epitome of why I wanted to start doing this because like, there's a lot of really good whiskeys out there that some of us would never get an opportunity to try or really even hear of. Um, this is definitely one of them. So Cedar Ridge, um, they have a number of different different offerings, uh, one of which is just kind of their standard, their, their straight bourbon. Um, again, age minimum, three years, really tasty. Um, really nice for just kind of an everyday standard bourbon. I would put this up against any other kind of everyday bourbon from a number of craft distilleries that I think are working on like that upper edge of, putting out a really nice product as kind of their everyday their next thing um murphy was able to work with the guys from slipknot um a lot of people obviously are familiar with slipknot very famous band those of you that are not they're a heavy metal band that's uh they get after it those dudes go and so they wanted to uh, create their own whiskey and they reached out to Murphy and the folks at Cedar Ridge. Um, they wanted to have a big part in the uh, making of the whiskey. They, they, they really didn't, they, they really wanted to not just put like Slipknot whiskey um, and sell it because of their name on the bottle. It's, it's listed on the back of the bottle, but on the front, there's nothing about Slipknot up here, it's about Iowa. Um, it's got the corn. Um, there's, there's nothing on this that just is like, Hey, buy this because it's affiliated with Slipknot. And this was named a couple of times, like the number one celebrity whiskey of the year. Um, this, this was pleasantly surprising. This caught me off guard. Uh, wasn't really sure what to think. I mean, Murphy didn't seem like the kind of guy that's gonna put out a, uh, a bad whiskey by any means. Um, but I was definitely surprised because I've had some celebrity whiskeys that are forgettable. And that's not, if you had that, I think you'd enjoy it and think, okay, this is a really good whiskey um, and not just a celebrity whiskey. However, for me, this is what sets them apart. Okay. Sorry. My light's on. Uh, This is called the quintessential. Um, This is batch five. This is incredible. It's a single malt. Um, I, I, I tell Murphy in the episode that this to me looks like an Irish whiskey or a scotch bottle and, you know, to, to what Murphy had said was that's intentional. Um, I love this. This is the, this is the best single malt that I have gotten. Um, since I started my podcast, this is by far the best one that I've tried. I love this. Um, I'm trying to not drink it because I don't want to run out of it, but I absolutely love this and I'm going to be looking for batch six. Um, amazing, amazing stuff. I think you're going to love it. Love this conversation with Murphy. He's super interesting, incredibly down to earth, uh, very open with his information and knowledge. Um, Again, this is the epitome of why I wanted to start doing a podcast to have these interesting conversations with these interesting people who have knowledge about these companies, these brands I know nothing about. And I believe he says that you can buy these online through a third party, depending on where you're at. So Um, Check out this episode with Murphy Quint. I think you're really going to enjoy it. Um, I think it's going to really open up your eyes to the fact that as this like overwhelming theme is continuing to grow as I do my podcast of good whiskey, good bourbon coming from all over the country. um, This is another one coming out of Iowa. And it's not really a place that you think of as uh, a bourbon Mecca because it's not Kentucky. It's not Tennessee. um, It's not in that emerging area of like Texas or Colorado. Uh, It's kind of a coming out of a different place that you're not really expecting to come um, to to create good whiskey. And like, I was completely wrong. This is incredible stuff. Um, I stand by the fact that that is my favorite single malt that anybody has sent me. And I apologize to anybody else. If you're offended, Um, I don't truly care because this is incredible. And I love this stuff. So, give this a listen. Give Cedar Ridge's website a visit. Uh, check them out on Instagram. Check out Murphy Quint on Instagram. Uh, see if you can get your hands on some of this because you're really going to enjoy it. You're really going to enjoy this episode as well. So, take a listen. Um, support the Barrel Proof Baseball Podcast. All right. Click below. We got some links Amazon store, Patreon, um, Walk Ops and Whiskey. Um, These guys are rad. They're combining my two favorite things as usual. So, check them out uh, Bottomless Coffee. Um, check them out if you like coffee, which I do. So, Bottomless Coffee, also Starward Whiskey. And it was weird to like promote another one, but uh, 20% off if you go to starward.com and use the code BPB. So, check that out and Manscaped as well. So, get some links, check them out, help support some cool brands, help support Barrelproof Baseball Podcast, and uh, enjoy this conversation with Murphy Quint. I, right? cheers. All right, I'm joined today by Murphy Quint from Cedar Ridge. Murphy, thank you so much for joining me today. So if you wouldn't mind, tell me a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got into whiskey and maybe something about you uh, pre-whiskey.
1: Yeah, yeah. First of all, thanks for having me on the the podcast. You're very excited to be here with you. Um, So like you said, my name is Murphy Quint. I'm the head distiller and director of operations here at Cedar Ridge Distillery. Um, It's kind of been a long road uh, to get to this point, that's for sure. Um, So I I started out in this industry when I was 16 years old. um, And that's because my parents actually started Cedar Ridge. So I obviously had a a nice and easy uh, foot in the door to get in the industry. But back then, I mean, it was very much just uh, helping out on nights and weekends and earning a few bucks to put some gas in my tank. And, you know, it it wasn't like my calling at that point in time. Um, But I kind of stuck with it and eventually really developed a passion for it. Um, And once I finished up college, it was, uh, it was, it was kind of time for me to go out on my own and find some independence. So I packed up a moving van and sh- just kind of showed up in Denver, Colorado. Um, and that's where I, I called Stranahan's Distillery <laughs> basically every couple of weeks until they finally hired me and I got in there. Um, so Stranahan's Colorado Whiskey. And um, that's where I, I'd say I really, really fell in love with this stuff and decided that this is what I wanna do pretty much forever. Um, I fell in love with American single malt whiskey, which I know we'll we'll get into in a second. Um, so yeah, I, I really kind of found myself in my career there and strain of hands will always have a um, a a major spot in my heart. Uh just like, you know, like baseball teams. I mean, you kind of move around, you have respect for them all, I'm sure. Um, but you know, the team that you're on is the one that uh, one that you love in that point in time. So anyway, um after a few years of working there, um kind of worked my way up uh through brewing and mashing fermentation and eventually became packaging manager. Um, it was time to head back to the state of Iowa. My wife and I wanted to start a family and be closer to our families in order to do it. And so I got back in at Cedar Ridge. I had a little, a little uh, detour in the world of sales and distribution, which is a ton of fun, but also a, a lot of work. And then eventually I, I got back in the world of production, which has always been kind of where I belong. So now, like I said, now I'm the head distiller. Um, I have an awesome team here. I uh, manage nine people, you know, all the way from, from uh, our, our brewers, our head brewer, our uh, winemaker, we make wine here as well, vineyard manager, packaging manager, you name it. So we've got a pretty extensive operation out here. And um, yeah, to kind of quickly touch on Cedar Ridge, uh, we've been in business since 2005. Like I said, my parents started the company back then. And I mean, we literally, <clears throat> excuse me, we literally started out as a garage distillery. Um, There was a little side garage off a of business in downtown Cedar Rapids that we rented out to kind of get things started, and um, we have rapidly grown to the point now where we're on about a hundred-acre property um, with like nine different buildings, and uh, you know we're uh, we're producing 200 barrels a month at this point in time. So I mean it it has really rapidly evolved and, and grown into something very special that that we uh, really love being a part of. So yeah.
0: Sorry, I muted myself for a sec. <laughs> <laughs> a jets flying over my head. Uh, no, I mean, I, th- I think that's really cool. And I think part of it is, you know, you don't really think of Iowa in terms of a, a whiskey, you know, a place where whiskey or good bourbon is going to come from. However, when I mean, there's so much corn produced in the state of Iowa, um, I mean, why is it not more popular? Like you'd think it would be a place where people would really want to want to grow corn and, and get corn that's grown there. And make their own whiskey there.
1: Um, no, I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned that because that, that has a lot to do with why we're doing what we're doing here. Um, like you said, in the state of Iowa, we grow corn here. I mean, that's what, that's what we do. Um, if No matter where you're at in Iowa, if you do a, a 360, you're probably gonna see a cornfield somewhere. It's just, it's what we do. I think we grow more corn in Iowa than pretty much any country grows. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, that's, that's what we're all about here. And it, it, it was kind of confusing. You know what, why isn't anyone producing bourbon with this beautiful Iowa corn? And that was kind of a light bulb moment for us uh, at Cedar Ridge. Our original business plan was to be more of a winery, but once we kind of had that thought, like, hey, you know, why are we why are we bringing in all this bourbon when we have all the corn here? Let's make it. And so that that um, like I said was a light bulb moment, and that's where we really kind of took off. Uh, Iowans really embraced us doing that and have supported us the whole way, which has been awesome. And and on the subject of Iowa, you know, you mentioned not many people are not many people are making bourbon here. And uh, you know, it's not something that you, you'd normally think of uh, a distillery being in the middle of Iowa, but that's something that's very important to me is to kind of kind of get people to understand and appreciate Iowa are um, It's such a beautiful state here. It's an incredible state with incredible people. And you know, it's never, it never seems to be at the top of anyone's list to travel here. And I think that's silly because there's so much cool stuff to see here. There's so much to do. And so I, I have a lot of pride personally and having kind of a a cool, cool, hip and trendy business that, uh, that kind of draws people in to see Iowa's beauty and and gets people here. So that's something that means a lot to me personally.
0: I think the whole like idea of the grain to glass is really cool as well. Like you guys are growing stuff locally. Um, You know, I think it's really, it's just a, like coming from a perspective of it, not being just mass produced and putting out just tons and tons of this. Um, You know, I think you can focus on quality a little bit more than, um, just trying to put out quantity. And I think that makes it really cool when you look at some craft distilleries, especially ones that are coming from areas that aren't normally, you know, throwing out a whole bunch of whiskey like Iowa.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that, that's for sure. And you no, know, we do have a lot of control over that process. Um, you know, all, all the way from, all the way from the grain. Um, you know, we use a lot of our own family corn, but 100% Iowa grown corn. Um, that's something that's very important to us. Obviously that's kind of the whole business model, but, um, yeah, we have a lot of control over that process and we're not, uh, we're not mass producing, um, you know, we're producing a, a fair amount, like I said, about 200, 200 barrels per month is actually where we'll be at the end of uh, July here. We're going through an expansion right now. So uh, a nice amount, but it's not so much that, you know, we're using continuous column stills and, and just, uh, you know, pushing buttons and turning lever, levers and things are happening. Our people are actually producing it and uh, they're, they're very good at their craft.
0: So what not to get away from Cedar Ridge for, for, I'm just curious from your perspective since you had worked at Stranahans. Yeah. Um, you see like a big boom going on with like Colorado whiskeys. Um, and there's some really good whiskey coming out of uh, out of Colorado, and it's really cool to see it like getting into some other areas. But what do you see is maybe that reason of kind of that boom in Colorado? And is that something where you see, could potentially get into Iowa where there's more distilleries coming out, which just, again, makes the industry as a whole a little bit more lucrative for, you know, states outside of Kentucky, Tennessee.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, yeah that's a great question. And, um, you know, I, I'd say one thing there is that both Colorado and Iowans, um, Coloradoans and Iowans have just a ton of state pride. Um, you know, I, Iowans, I, Iowa's like their favorite word. If, if my, You know, if my grandma hears someone on CNN talk about Iowa, like she'll call me. Um, so, you know, like it, it's a, it's a big thing. And, and Colorado has that too. And it really opened my eyes being out there, um, you know, working in the whiskey world in Colorado and seeing that, you know, for a special release whiskey, people would camp out in an alley three nights in advance, just have a spot online so they could buy one. And like seeing that really opened my eyes. And meanwhile, you know, my family's back here with Cedar Ridge, uh, mainly focusing on, on wine and a little bit of this, a little bit of that. We hadn't really found ourselves yet. Um, I, I remember just kind of talking with them and saying, guys, like, this this whiskey thing in Colorado here is, is just insane. It's exploding, and uh, Iowans are very similar. They want to show pride, too. They want to take pride in products produced in their own state. So, you know, let's consider that, and let's see what we can do, if we can do something similar. And it it has worked very similarly. Uh, we we do have, uh, you know, the, the people of Iowa behind us and supporting us, and, and without them, we wouldn't even be here, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, I think that's really cool. It's cool to see the expansion happening in other places as well, kind of like seeing it get out other than, uh, you know, I mean, anybody can go find something out of a big distillery from Kentucky. So it's always nice to uh, branch out a little bit more.
1: Yeah. And, and, and that's, you know, um, I, I love, love Kentucky whiskey. I, I really do. But it is exciting to see it kind of open up to more of a, you know, honestly, global scale. But even in the United States, like um, just kind of seeing what's happened It all. It all started in Kentucky. But now, I mean, you've got awesome single malts being produced Um, you know, in the Pacific Northwest, you've got really good rise coming out of Pennsylvania. You know, you got bourbons in Iowa, Texas, I mean, all over the place. And it's really cool to see this, this evolving whiskey landscape kind of unfold right before us.
0: Yeah. I think that part's really cool. I think it's neat to see the, uh, just the, like that expansion, I think is a lot of fun to kind of pay attention to. Um, now you guys are making wine as well, right?
1: Yes. Uh, we do make wine. So we make about 20,000 gallons of wine each year. And um, that's something that we're not necessarily looking to, to expand as rapidly as our whiskey um, business. You know, our, our whiskey business is kind of our future, but the wines, what we're looking to do is make 20,000 gallons of the best wine that we can possibly make. And we've got um, an awesome winemaker, an awesome vineyard manager that are, that are doing that for us. Um, you know, while they are technically under my direction, they, they, they are Cedar Ridge Winery. Um, they know more about that stuff than I will ever know. But yes, we make about 20,000 gallons of wine every year.
0: All right. So tell me a little bit about kind of the process of making the whiskey in Iowa. Um, I mean, you guys got some weather out there that's a little unique, a little harsh, uh, both I think hot and cold, but I'm sure also with that, you know, I know you guys do a uh, non-temperature controlled uh, aging process. Uh, tell me a little bit about that as well as maybe some challenges coming out of Iowa and also some perks of being in Iowa.
1: Uh, yeah so um man where to start there there's, there's just a lot i mean like we already talked about we've, we've got the corn coming here so you've got the nice the nice base product to work with um but so i, I mean our process is our process and it, it it is important there are some really good differentiators in it um going from the way that we the way that we mash to the way that we filter however in my opinion where it really gets magical and it uh really gets kind of out there is the way that we age our product and so like you mentioned, we're doing non-climate controlled aging. Um, so all of, our, all of our stuff is being aged in what we call barrel sheds, um, basically big pole buildings that don't have any insulation. The temperature inside them is the same as the temperature outside of them. And so what we're looking to tap into there is the, uh, the constant fluctuations in temperature that the state of Iowa sees. And anyone really from the Midwest is, is you know, familiar with those. Um, let, let's, let's even talk about like today. Today it'll probably hit upwards of 92, 93 degrees. And then tonight it'll drop down to 60 degrees. And so what we're seeing there in that swing is a lot of in and out movement inside that barrel. Um, as As it heats up, the whiskey inside heats up, the wood heats up, everything becomes more porous. So that whiskey is gonna seep into the barrel wood. And then when things get colder at night, it starts to contract a little bit and the whiskey kind of gets pushed back out. So we get a lot of rapid in and out movement on a daily basis. And then in addition to that, you see a lot of seasonal stuff, um, You know. Uh, Spring, summer, fall, and winter are all so incredibly different here. There's no consistency whatsoever. And uh, each season kind of works its own magic on those barrels. I mean, you know, when you've got the July heat, um, like I said, obviously that barrel wood's becoming more porous, but then you get into the winters and um, it's kind of a nice rest period where that whiskey, it's still interacting with that wood, but kind of different parts of it. You know, it's not seeping in as far because uh, it's not quite as porous. So anyway, um, the Iowa the Iowa weather the Iowa climate plays a big role in aging uh, our product and then lastly one thing that we do is uh, being here in Iowa where we've got land to work with we build our barrel sheds our barrel aging facilities we build them wide instead of tall and one reason that we do that like I said we've got land so it kind of just makes sense but another is because if you build them too tall uh, we no longer are embracing mother nature's impact on those barrels because it's going to be super hot up high because heat rises. and It'll be a different, different temperature down low. So we only, we only rack our barrels five barrels high so that we, we don't, you know, we kind of combat that essentially we build them out wide instead of tall.
0: With the, uh, you know, and obviously there are other areas that have that fluctuation, but for you guys like that, that it it gets pretty extreme, you know, both ways. Like you said, you're, you're having a 30 degree swing even today. Um, Does that, is that something where if you were to try to age them for too long, there would be too much fluctuation and, and create more angel share that, you know, you guys are losing too much yield or it, it would have too much of an impact on the flavor?
1: Um, yeah, that's a great question. And so, um, I mean, we've we've aged some bourbons up to up to seven years so far um, and they were awesome. So so right now I'm not too worried about that. I mean, you know, if we get to 14, 15 years, who knows what's going to happen at that point? Um, The angel share, however, is a different story. I mean, there are some concerns there because of that constant expansion and contraction. One, we're gonna see a little bit more evaporation and two, we're very, very prone to barrel leaks. I mean, if you're getting fast expansion and contraction, you know, barrels are made of a a bunch of different pieces of wood and if gaps start happening in between them, you'll see a lot of leaks. So luckily we've got a very good warehouse manager um, uh, at the beginning and end of every day. He kind of does a walkthrough of all of our aging facilities and make sure none of them are leaking because, I, I mean, one or two of them a day will be leaking. That's just how it goes here. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not too concerned about, like, about them being over-oaked or over-aged or anything like that. Um, but the, the the angel share is a bit of a concern.
0: Yeah, I, I have to imagine. I know talking with some guys, you know, they've, they've compared their, you know, from a craft perspective to, you know, some of the big guys. And they're like, you know, we're lose, they're losing more every day than we're distilling in a year. Yeah. So it's like when you put it in that perspective, it's crazy. You can't just afford to lose uh, that much, you know, of the spirit to uh, to either leaking or angel share before it gets into the bottle.
1: Um, yeah, that's exactly right. And a, lo- a lot of distilleries will go, um, you know, they'll put pretty extensive measures in place to to prevent that from happening. Um, you know, a lot of them put like uh, misters spraying humidity into the room. That kind of makes it so that uh, the air is going to pull less whiskey out of the barrels. Um, so like everyone's kind of got a different strategy here. Um, you know, and, and I'm not saying edit them are right or wrong. Um, what we're going to do here, though, is we're going to continue to do it this way and embrace um, and embrace those temperature fluctuations because it's such an important part of our process.
0: Talk a little bit about it from a, a head distiller perspective. I mean, what th- that's got to be incredibly fun, like how you're going through and you're making whiskey and you're tasting it and you're trying to. Uh, you know, figure out what's gone right, what's gone wrong. You know, how, how, what is that process like for you? Like, what is the day to day like for you? And then just overall, as a big picture in your, in your role, what is that like?
1: Um, yeah, great question. And, and first of all, I'll say, I mean, I, I do have a, a very cool gig, and a lot of people have asked me, you know, it, can it get any cooler? And ironically, I've always said that the only thing I'd ever leave this position for is a front office job in baseball. So, I mean, That's it seems like you, know, you and I, you and I are kind of on the same page there, but. Um, yeah, my day to day, you know, I, I manage a whole operations team, like I said, all the way from uh, whiskey production production over to um, overseeing our our wine operations. Um, I'm also the director of operations, so I'm constantly doing expansions and and stuff like that. Um, so it it stays very busy. On the whiskey side of things, though, um, I, I make I really prioritize uh, that part of the job. I make sure that that each day, no matter what i get at least an hour of working with the whiskey and usually that's from 4 to 5 p.m. because a lot of my other um uh my my co-workers my employees they'll they'll kind of start taking off for the day and that frees up the production floor a little bit more for me to kind of get on there and and work with some stuff so what i usually do um, when i've got time to do some whiskey work i one i'm always blending our our bourbon for for every new batch and we'll get into that in a second here same with slipknot i always do those batches i taste every single barrel to make sure that gonna fit well in the batch or that it's ready to be there. So that's one thing. But my passion really is in American single malt whiskey. And um, you know, we'll I won't get too far ahead of ourselves because we'll talk about the quintessential here in a second, but uh picking what goes into our Solera vats, basically laying out a bunch of different single malts across the floor and tasting through them and determining which ones would marry best together in our Solera vat. That's that's my absolute favorite thing to do. It's pretty time consuming though. So you know it turns into a lot of nights and weekends to to get that done but uh yeah that's kind of what my day-to-day looks like is a lot of management a lot of uh a lot of structuring things a lot of uh you know dealing with expansions but then i always i always get at least one hour of whiskey workout
0: yeah that's i mean that's got to be an absolute blast i mean i have to imagine it's just it's got to be so much fun it's not just the uh obviously tasting good whiskey is, is always fun but uh just being able to like build something and, and make something and see it going from like you said from the corn that's local to uh, getting into a bottle and and knowing the impact that you've had on that that's got to be a blast.
1: Oh, it, it is. I um, mean, it's a ton of fun. It really is. Um, there's a lot of you know. There's a little bit of romance to it. Um, yeah, the way that you described is perfect. There. Um, I will say, however, though, and, and I'm sure you can relate. Anytime you've got a very cool job, um, it, it's also a very hard job because so many people want it, right? So if you're not if you're not staying sharp and you're not doing a good job there's a stack of a stack of resumes of people that, that want to replace you. So you got to stay sharp and, um, you know, while it is very fun and, and awesome, it is, uh, by no means easy. That's for sure.
0: Yeah. That's, I think that's one thing that people can definitely, uh, kind of mix, maybe mix their, their thought process on a little bit as, as fun as it is. It's like, everybody knows it's fun. Like everybody wants to like everybody that's in whiskey wants to be in your position. You know, anybody in baseball wants to be, you know, managing a team or, or whatever, but exactly. So, okay. Before we go into these different bottles, I'm curious. Uh, I think I read that you are a Cubs fan. Is that right?
1: Yeah. 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 I hate to break. I'm, I'm a diehard Cubs fan, <laughs>
0: but I, I can, I can take that. I can accept that. It's, <laughs> at least you're not a white Sox fan. Cause those are, uh, I mean, those are either old or just brand new and, and, I'm not in on that, but, but I'm good. The- I, can I can't get on
1: board with it either. I can't get on board with it either. But no, I understand you guys are uh your your system's destroying us this year, so at least you have that going for
0: like, you. yeah, I can deal with the Cubs. What what would be your front office baseball job that you would want?
1: Oh, oh man, well, I mean, I suppose I would I would I would ease in, you know, with some sort of a um a marketing position just to get in. Um then obviously, I mean, obviously fairly quickly worked my way up to the director of baseball operations. I made mean, it go pretty quick. Fair. Yeah. Yeah. Go big. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's where we'd end up, but no, that literally anything, anything that um, makes it so that, you know, my daily job is walking into a base baseball stadium. Um, I just think that'd be be beautiful. Um, like I'm getting that on my job though. I'm sure it's mainly hard. There's a lot of stress there, but you know, being able to just like being able to walk into a distillery every day, there's something cool about, I'm, you know, pulling up and seeing the green bins and, you know, mm-hmm. heading over to production and kind of uh smelling the mash every morning. Like there there's something very beautiful about that and that I really enjoy. And I imagine it'd be very similar to, you know, walking to a baseball stadium and seeing seeing the field be mowed and maintained and all that stuff. Um uh, something beautiful to it.
0: Yeah, no doubt. There's there's a romance to it for sure. Yeah. You can't say that there's not. I think anybody that says there's not as lying.
1: Exactly. <laughs>
0: all right. So let's talk, let's talk about this straight bourbon right here. Um, it is like eight 15 in the morning, but I'm going to definitely have to get a few tastes in. So tell me a little bit about this one here.
1: Yeah. So that is our Cedar Ridge, Iowa bourbon whiskey, our straight Iowa bourbon, and that's our flagship product. So like I was kind of uh, talking about earlier, that's the one that we had the light bulb moment with, um, Hey, we're producing all this corn here in the state of Iowa. Why aren't we producing any bourbon? So this is the the first whiskey we ever released and um, it's it's gone very very well for us. So um, the mash bill on it is 74% corn, 14 rye, 12% malted barley. So um, you know slightly higher corn content, but actually a fairly high, um, fairly high malted barley content for a, a bourbon mash bill. So um, I it, mean it's a, a fairly approachable bourbon, and that's what we're going for. Um, we we make a few different bourbons, and I'll talk about that in a second. But on this one, our goal is to have a very approachable and inviting bourbon that. Uh, could easily be um, consumed meat, but also makes the world's best old fashioned. So however you want to, however you want to consume it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's all Iowa corn and uh, it's an all Iowa product. And that's what we're after.
0: What, what does the, the higher malted barley content, what does that add to uh, just the flavor profile and then, and, and how does that affect the higher corn content?
1: Um, yeah. Great question. Uh, in my opinion, it kind of, it, it, contributes to that uh, approachable flavor profile. It kind of softens it and rounds it out um, so that it's not quite, um, quite as sharp and edgy. I think um, a lot of bourbons that have a little bit higher rye content, it, a, a 74% corn mash bill isn't that uncommon. I mean, it it's slightly higher than normal, but a lot of people would go heavier on the rye than the malted barley because malted barley is actually a very expensive grain to work with. And I think that that uh, kind of rounds it out. It adds a little bit of a doughiness to it um, in the flavor profile. And I mean, you, you can pick a lot of notes out that, um, from that barley content that you'd get in something like a single malt, which we're going to try here in a second and you'll pick up that doughy flavor profile. So anyway, it kind of rounds it out and just kind of takes the edge off of it, replaces what would normally be rye with something that's a little bit more
0: delicate. It it just geographically is rye. Is that commonly grown like in the Midwest? I know that's like Pennsylvania, Maryland, but is that something that's used much in, in the Midwest?
1: um it's really not and so I I mean especially in Iowa um it's it's kind of been my dream to make it so that we could have uh corn rye and barley all from the state of Iowa um and I I suppose we probably could pull that off one day but here it is like it's it's either corn or soybeans I mean that's just what you grow um I know that if you get if you get pretty far north um you can get into some other grains and um right now we actually source them from Canada I had the pleasure of going up to Saskatchewan and actually meeting the farmers that grow uh, specifically the rye and going to the uh, malting facility that malts our barley. So that was really exciting. But uh, right now we just get the corn from the state of Iowa and uh, we source the other two grains from, from Canada.
0: Yeah, that is really nice. I mean, it's really, like you said, it's very approachable. It's not going to go, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't crush you with proof. Um, yeah. Which I know is, you know, I like some high proofs and, and some of them are really good. Um, but there's also a time where was this 43%. Is that
1: right? Um, yep. That is 43%, 86, 86 proof. And uh, on the note of proof, I mean, I will mention that um, we've kind of, we've tiered it up a little bit. I mean, so that's our Iowa bourbon. That's our flagship. Um, it has a lot of pros to it. Um, and the pros being that, you know, it wanted, it, it's a very good whiskey. It's approachable. It's inviting, um, not overly aggressive can be mixed in the cocktails. Like I said, um, but it's also economical. I mean, you know, it's going to retail for 35 bucks. So it's not, it's not going to break the bank compared to some others. Um, but, if, you know, if you want to get into some higher proof stuff, one, I'll give a, a quick shout out to So our, our bottled and bond. We always release this on 4th of July weekend. So we're, we're getting ready to do that now. Um, that's a 100 proof. And then we also do quite a bit of cask strength stuff. Um, we'll do a lot of single barrel picks where a retailer or even a bar will come out and select a barrel. Those usually go out at cask strength. And then we, we do have a, a single barrel collection bourbon, uh, which is basically um, the, the premium, the, the top of the line here. Uh, if I'm tasting through barrels and I find one that I really love, I'll set it aside for some extended aging and we'll release that at, at true cask strength. So, I mean, we, we definitely dabble at different proofs, uh, but this one, it, the Iowa bourbon that you just tried, that's meant to represent, um, you know, our, our core bourbon and uh, uh, be that, that nice approachable flavor profile that, that we're looking for.
0: Yeah, that's I mean that's really good. I, I agree. Totally approachable. Very I mean you can definitely sip on that. What at the cast strength? What does that usually come out at? And I'm always curious because I you know you hear big fluctuations in that. But what does that come out at?
1: Great question. And and you do, um you do hear major fluctuations in, in certain distilleries um and in certain regions, you know, um, because sometimes uh more water is gonna evaporate out of a barrel, and sometimes more alcohol is gonna evaporate out of a barrel. So it's it's really um it, really cool how that works out. But here in Iowa. Um, at our distillery, everything's going in the barrel at 120, and it's coming out actually pretty close to that. Um, you know, I, I've seen anywhere from uh, 119 to one, well, we, we had a 123 recently, so um, ours is pretty consistent. It kind of maintains its proof, but I know in certain regions, um, you can go in at 120 and come out at 127 or go in at 120 and come out at 112. So I know that, that you know, Scotland, Kentucky, Iowa, it's, it's all going to be very different.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I think it's uh, the the cast strength ones always interest me because you know you you, like you hear people that really love like love those high proofs um, and never want to get into something like below ninety. But I think there's definitely a place for that um, that you have to be able to sit back and just enjoy it, and you don't have to always get crushed with proof.
1: I'm 100. I'm in complete agreement with you on that. And uh, don't get me wrong, I really love cast strength stuff, and I, I have that's one of the major perks of my job is that I get to try whiskey straight out of a barrel, completely unmanipulated, and you know. Um literally um, barrel flavor barrel proof, you name it um, and, th- and that's very cool, but I mean also sitting down and enjoying something that's not so aggressive. Uh, one, you know, you can have a little bit more of it without getting sloppy, which is always nice um, and and two, whiskey really, really changes um, as you modify the proof points and I mean I'm not talking just from like a you know an eighty six versus a 120 proof I mean even even 100 versus 96, uh, you know, that four proof point difference. They'll drink like two different whiskeys. I mean, you might get something that's got a lot of like brown sugar notes, kind of like the burnt top of a creme brulee, um, or, you know, you'll, you'll dilute it by fruit, four proof points and all of a sudden that turns into caramel and it's like completely different. So it, it's really fun to experiment with different proofs. I, I'd always recommend that to people. Yeah, try it at cask strength, but also try it down closer to 86, um, you know, maybe, maybe 100. And just kind of see how that whiskey takes shape at those different proofs.
0: Yeah, I'm definitely with you on that one. Um, Okay, so I want to get into the quintessential, and I got to tell you this: when I opened this up, right? Yeah, it was really weird because the I got my light on, so you can't really see it, but like it almost looked like a Scotch bottle for some reason. But then I, like, it looks, it, it's. Like, it's very different. I love this one. It's got like the red, white, and blue, the label on that. And then when I saw this one, I honestly thought at first, like, it might be like a scotch or like a, like looking like an Irish whiskey bottle. It's like, wow, that's really cool. And then you read through like the single malt. Um, talk a little bit about this one. I'm, I'm excited to try this one out.
1: Yeah. And, and um, first, let me touch on that because you actually made a really good point there. and And it makes me happy because that's exactly what we're going for. Um, So labeling, labeling is very important. I mean, on the Iowa bourbon that you just tried, I mean, it has the classic American style, I guess you can kind of see it right here, um, the big block letters that you can read from 50 feet away. I mean, and the the reason that we do that here is because, um, you know, at at a bar, if it's on a shelf and you're on the other side of the bar, you can still easily read what that label says, um, and and that's nice for a consumer. However, um, scotches haven't traditionally been like that, Uh, scotches and Irish whiskeys, um, much, much smaller fonts, a little bit flowier, um, you know, more descriptive on the labeling as opposed to just having a few big letters. And so what we're trying to do there is we were trying to kind of create an American whiskey that's in, in Scottish clothes, um, essentially. And the reason we want to do that is because it's an American single malt whiskey, and that's a pretty new category. And consumers are still very confused by what that is. And it is essentially, I mean, some some people would get, <laughs> get mad if I describe it this way. So it's not exactly spot on, but American single malt whiskey is essentially America's version of scotch. It's, it's, it's single malt and it, it's gonna be very similar to that. So in order to kind of get consumers to naturally understand that, we wanted to dress it up like one uh, so that it makes a little bit more sense and they know what to expect from it. So it is our single malt whiskey. Um, you, you know, we'll, we'll get into the process behind it here in a second, but it, it is gonna taste very similar to something that you'd, you'd pick up over in
0: Scotland. Okay. So like, I think that's a great way to look at it. America's version of Scotch. it yeah. is there like when you say single malt and I agree it's, it is confusing. And I've had a couple that I really liked, yeah. but like, what, what is single malt? Like, is that, what does that mean? Exactly. Is there like a legal definition behind that? Um, what, like what exactly is that?
1: Yeah. Great question. And so, um, right, right now there is not technically a legal definition, however, in like a couple weeks there might be, um, so uh, the American Single Malt Whiskey Commission is actually working really hard to get this category uh, officially established and to kind of give it meaning and have some rules and regulations put in place. And um, that commission was created probably uh, like eight years ago, um, you know, like Westland, Stranahan's, Balcones, uh, uh, Santa Fe Spirits, maybe Virginia Distillery Company. A, a handful of them got together and started this commission. And a bunch of us, including Cedar Ridge, have kind of gotten on board and helped help push that forward. So, what they're trying to do is get the TTB to actually recognize it as an official category, and they're finally actually considering it as we speak. So it does seem like that's about to happen. So you know I, um the, the official rules, and I don't have them in front of me, so hopefully I don't miss anything, but you know it's got to be distilled at a single distillery, one hundred percent malted barley, uh, and then um, it can go in new or used casks. That's kind of new for American whiskey because both bourbon and rye have to go in brand new barrels every single time, fresh char. Uh, American single malt does not. It can go and use barrels, which um, is my favorite thing, and, and I hope we talk about that in a second. Um, and, and there's a few other smaller ones. Uh, has to be produced in the United States of America, obviously. So um, very similar to to Scotch setup, um, but uh, yeah, 100% made in America, one distillery, 100% malt and barley.
0: When you when you say the use or nuke, is that is it always like from a bourbon barrel like another whiskey or can it be from um you know like a wine you know almost like a finishing or, is, or like how does that get
1: qualified <laughs> great, great question so in general american single whiskey can can do any of those things i mean you can you can take it off the still and put it in literally any cask you want um how we do it i'll dive into that real quick um it's my favorite process we do it's not the most efficient way to make a whiskey but it is probably the most artistic and and complex uh, from a process standpoint what we do is we right off the still, we dilute it down to barrel entry proof, which is 120, and we throw in our X bourbon barrels. So, I mean, we'll, we'll bottle bourbon, we'll have freshly empty casks, and we'll fill them back up with our single malt. We'll let those age for on average two and a half to three years. And from then, we will actually transfer them into unique finishing casks. So they'll go from the X bourbon to a number of different barrels uh, X red wine, X white wine, X port, X brandy, X rum. Uh, sherry cask. We have a ton of sherry cask finished single malt around here, and then also some unique oaks. Uh, we work with some French oak, Hungarian oak, um, obviously American. So um, we what we try to do there is create a bunch of different single barrels of single malt in these unique finishing casks, and we let those finish out for another two to three years. So now now you're at about five to six years of total age time, and that's when we actually lay those barrels out across the floor. I taste through them, figure out which one's married best together, and then we um, add them to our Solera vat to kind of uh, prep them for bottling. So quick recap, because I know it's a lot. Um, starts out in X Bourbon Barrels, gets transferred to uh, a unique finishing cask of some sort, and from there goes into our Solera vat uh, to be married to other single malts. And then we bottle it halfway down, fill it back up. Bottle it halfway down, fill it back up. So that tank never runs out. The mother batch is always somewhat present. It's always evolving and gaining complexity. So that's what we're going for.
0: So, okay. So the, the malted barley is the big ingredient on this one.
1: 100% but, malted barley. Yep. So
0: that's the, that's the go-to. Okay. Yep. So the the nose, I haven't tasted this yet, but the nose on this is incredible. Like it, I mean, it almost, it's like almost peated.
1: Um, absolutely. Um, which batch is that on your bottle? <laughs> um, uh, yep,
0: batch five.
1: I'm batch five. So yes. It, um, so like I said, it's always going to evolve a little bit um, because, you know, I'm always adding different barrels into the Solera vat and then bottle it halfway down, then I fill it back up. Since those barrels are always different, it's always, each batch is going to be slightly different. Now I'm not looking to shock the system. You know, I don't want batch four to be a world different than batch five. I want nice, easy transitions. However, batch five to batch 20, they'll probably be quite different. So it will evolve over time. Batch five in general though, uh, there's a bit more peat in there than uh than in previous batches and um yeah I forgot to mention that in the process uh some of the barrels will have a little bit of peat in them I never want that to be like I never want it to be a smoke show just pure peat I'm always looking for that to be more of a background character um you know kind of finishes out however in batch five uh so my last name is Quint Quint means five batch five I wanted to make it as as close to my palate as possible and I, I like a little bit more peat, so I, I turned it up a notch. But you should get plenty of sherry uh, influence as well, plenty of wine cask influence, and then it kind of finishes with that that strong peat note.
0: Yeah, I mean, like you said, your your name is on this thing, man. Like you want this to be something that is, uh, you know, very close to what you really enjoy. Now, are you personally like, do you uh, do you like Isla Scotches? Is that is that a Scotch that you go to, like where you enjoy that peat?
1: I, I love Isla Scotches. I, I, um, uh, I actually love pretty much everything from Scotland. Um, you know, no matter what region it's from, but yeah, I really do enjoy Pete. Um, I, I don't even know when that started or where it came from because I, I definitely wasn't always that way, but now these days it's like the, the more peat I can get in there, the better. So I'm, I'm definitely in a phase on that front right now. Yeah.
0: I, I like it. So I haven't got into, I haven't got into Scotches. Um, Okay. And, I, and I don't know if it was like, I didn't, I didn't like rye either. And I love rye's now. Um, but I think like the first rye that I had, I just thought it was not very good. Um, I think I tried scotch a little younger than I probably should have. Um, yeah. and now, you know, I get to 40 and it's like, oh, it's pretty, it's pretty good. It's a little classier. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> so I, I'm in on it. So like when you get that little hint of the, um, of that, that peat, like a little smokiness uh, without it being overwhelming, like that's really nice.
1: Thank you. Yeah, and and that's, like I said, I'm never looking for it to be overwhelming, although batch five does have a little bit more Pete influence than the previous batches. Um, I, I'm always looking for it to be kind of a, you know, a, a supporting character as opposed to the, the main show, but um, yeah, yeah, I'd say uh, another key element to this quintessential is the sherry cask, and that's another thing that, and like you kind of alluded to, I, I'm really making these uh, to my palate this is something that I, I work really hard on and, and it's my absolute favorite product that we make and so it does end up being a little bit more towards my palate and I love Pete and I love Sherry and uh, so it's always going to have a nice amount of those in them as well as uh, some some ex red wine and port influence those are kind of the ones that that I like to focus on
0: I think what's really nice about it, it's got like it's got that subtle fruit it's not overwhelming with like a red fruit Um, but it's definitely in there. And like you said, you've got that, that hint of the peat. like it's really, it hits kind of both like with that subtle peat, um, it's a little softer. It's not like that spice. You don't get, you don't get like any kick from, from spice and it's not overwhelming on proof where I think you uh, might potentially lose some of the flavor, like with the, the single malt and the, the fruit from, um, you know, whatever cask it's coming from, like, this is really good.
1: Hey, thank you. I really appreciate that.
0: What, what is, what's the price point on this one?
1: Uh, so, uh, 59.99. Yep. 59.99.
0: I mean, I think for a, for a single ball, I could probably be all over that one. (laughs) That's really, it's great. stuff. Um,
1: And it's, you know, it's, it's kind of making its way around. Um, as you can see, I mean, you're on batch five, uh, ironically, we're actually bottling batch six right now. So, um, um, we're only six batches into this. It's still fairly new. With that being said, it's getting some pretty good recognition. Um, it's won a few, a few gold medals and some, some really good ratings and, uh, right now, I mean, it's it's in Iowa, Illinois, Minnesota, Missouri, Nebraska, ma- mainly kind of the surrounding states of Iowa. However, Texas and, and California, I know, have just started taking some. So, and then it's also got a nice online presence. So, it's really, um, considering how how new of a product it is for us, it's it's got legs to it. It's developing pretty quickly for us.
0: Yeah, I can see. That. I, I I mean, I get why. I mean, this stuff's delicious. Um, do you is this a category just overall that you think will become more prevalent for more distilleries or is this something that's like just as a single malt is it something that you think is a little bit more like individualized where maybe it doesn't fit everybody's uh, particular palette and so people are like you want this to represent you and your taste and then other people probably come from the same perspective um like is that something you see taking off or is it still going to be a little bit more on the maybe the craft side where it becomes more sought after by people who really enjoy that
1: um, great question. I, I actually have really, really strong feelings on this one. Um, I, I think the American single malt whiskey is going to be an enormous category. I mean, don't get me wrong. Um, our our, natives, our native whiskey here is, is bourbon. Um, that's kind of, uh, and, and I know Rye has a very long history here as well. Um, however, the reason why I believe that American single malt whiskey is really going to take off, <clears throat> excuse me, is because um, over the last 20 years, you know, we've gone from from a handful of distilleries outside of Kentucky, like five. (laughs) And now there's like 3,000. I mean, there's been this insane boom in the number of distilleries uh, that have popped up over the last decade or so. And one thing that a lot of us are producing is American single malt whiskey. So um, yeah, right now it is mainly on the craft side, but you got to keep in mind, those distilleries are going to grow. I mean, you know, we're, we're, um, Cedar Ridge is kind of becoming one of the bigger distilleries and we've only been around for, you know, 16, 17 years, um, and, and same with a lot of the other uh, crafts that have kind of established themselves at this point. And so, um, in addition to that, though, you know, the Kentucky distilleries that have been around for 100, 200 years, they're heads down on bourbon, and why wouldn't they be? They make such great products, but they're, they're kind of focused over here, and a lot of these newer distilleries are going this route to, to hit this American single malt. There's a lot more, uh, there, there's less of a cap on what they can accomplish, I suppose, those shelves aren't really blacked up yet by uh, the distilleries that have been around in America for, for so long. They're focused on bourbon and so it leaves single malt wide open. So I really do think that it's going to continue to boom here. I mean, I don't know if it's ever going to replace bourbon nor, nor would I say I even want it to, uh, but I think that it's going to really continue to grow and I think that it could honestly, um, single malt in particular, could kind of emulate the wine industry, um, you know, where Specifically for single malt, not necessarily the other whiskies. I mean, you know, you, you can kind of start uh, getting whiskies, single malts from different regions where they have different influences based on where they're coming from. Um, you know, I, I, I think that'll take a long time to develop, but I think that that could happen over time with single malt.
0: You know, I, it's a great point. Like, you're, you're not, go- you can't take over bourbon. <laughs> like, <laughs> bourbon's not going away. Bourbon's here, man. Yeah. yeah, but like, you start to see now. You know, I think the popularity of Uh, like the cask strengths, or now everybody's coming out with all the different finishes, like specific finishes, whether it's a, you know, port or sherry or tequila, like random, you know, uh, finishes that are coming out right now. And I just, I feel like this is kind of more of a, uh, like authentic whiskey, more or less up there with like a bourbon or a rye. Um, You know, like you said, it's coming from pure like malted barley. I mean, that's a really cool um, category and it's super tasty.
1: Yeah, yeah, and one thing you mentioned there, the, the finishes, um, that's another reason why the single malt category is so, so special to me, in particular, as a whiskey producer. Um, barley is a very delicate and shapeable grain. Um, you, can, you, can really, um, you, you can really manipulate it however you want to, and the fact that you can use these finishing casks uh, and use casks in general from the very beginning allows a distiller or a whiskey producer, whatever, A blender um to to really shape it to their own liking i mean even if three three years into being an ex-bourbon cask if you know i i I feel like it's missing a certain note or whatever i can decide you know what i think a sherry cask would actually really round this one out nicely or maybe let's go a different route you know a a brandy let's give it some more fruit forward notes and put it put it in an ex-apple brandy cask so you can really really shape the single malt Um, a little bit easier than you can with bourbon or rye. And don't get me wrong, uh, there's some really, really good uh, finishes happening in the world of bourbon and rye right now too. I just, because that barley grain is so delicate and shapeable, you have a little bit more control over how it's going to end up. You know, you can, you can, you can kind of aim, if you will, Uh, years in advance, I can decide how I want something to taste and I can usually get it there in the world of single malt. Whereas bourbon and rye, there's just a little bit more like you know, let's, let's put it away. Let's just put it away and see what happens.
0: This might be a stupid question, but is there a, let's say like with a single malt, you're aging it in an ex bourbon barrel. Um, and you want to, like you said, the apple brandy or a port, sherry, what, what have you, um, how, is there a trial and error to that of like, Hey, let's put some of this in a you know, sherry barrel or what have you to, to, to try this out and see if, like you said, it rounds out nicely with this, or it would be better with this one. Like what's that trial and error process like with the single malt?
1: Um, yeah. You know, so um, anything on that front is always kind of hard in the world of whiskey. Right. Um, because, um, it, like a controlled experiment, it takes so much time. Like if I put something in, in a, a, a barrel that I've never worked with for the first time, it's, it's very hard to decide if we want to fill one barrel up, or 50 barrels up Um, because you can't, you can't have to do one or the other, right? Because if you do one, then it's a small scale experiment. If it goes wrong, you don't really lose much, but then if it's good, you almost have none to sell. I mean, you're not going to, you're not really going to turn your profits. If you put 50 away, um, well, now you've got something that, that is slightly scalable. You know, you can distribute it. You've got enough whiskey to actually create something, but if it goes bad, I mean, if it doesn't end up being what you think it's going to be, now you've got fifty barrels of, of inventory that that is really not great, and I mean there's so much cost in, in that in that quantity, so it's always really really difficult to do that however, um with single malt, I feel a little bit more comfortable with it personally because I've got a lot more experience um, in that in that world just because of my background and um, you can also it, it's a little bit easier to marry them together like even if if something, if we do a little bit of an experiment and, you know, say I've got a bunch of X brandy cask single malt and it's just, it's just a little flat, you know, it's just not really what I was hoping it would be. Well, I can find something that's really bold, like a first fill sherry cask and, and maybe marry those two together and kind of get them to, to help each other shine. So usually, usually in the world of single malt, I can fix that a little bit better, but it is, it is always really hard to decide the scale of kind of a new project or a new experiment.
0: Yeah, I bet. I mean, that makes perfect sense. Like, I, I, could, if you have one barrel and you go, "Man, this is incredible!" Like, well, we don't have anything to sell. <laughs> that sucks. We you did know.
1: that with, um, we did that with a, a pork cask rye recently. I um, mean, and you know, we we had an extra rye sitting around, and um, as whiskey geeks, you know, my team and I, we all love pork cask rye, so we're like, "Screw it, I'm throw a little rye in there and see what happens." And it it ended up being like the best. I mean, like one of the best barrels we've ever released. Uh, a whiskey group out here in Iowa actually bought it. Shout out to the Iowa Whiskey Chasers. And, um, you know, we've had so many people ask for more of it, but it's like, okay, so yeah, we'll, we'll finally do it. We'll put some away, but now we got to wait a couple years. You know, it's like we don't, we don't have anything to fill that gap. So a one barrel experiment is almost never a great idea um, just because if it ends up being amazing, it'd it, it at least be nice to have like one a year that you can release. So you've kind of got to do one every year as opposed to one now and just see what happens.
0: Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. Now, are the, the quintessential are they always coming out at 92 proof?
1: Um, yes, great question. So the, the quintessential, um, the current offering of it right now is gonna come out at 92 proof. Um, that that's what it will always be. However, we're getting ready to eventually release um two other versions. One is gonna be a single barrel or a single cask release, and that you know, that's gonna be a cool process because, like I said, we've got all these unique single malls sitting around. Uh, someone could come out here and, and say, hey, I want to try single malt finished and pair brandy casks, or I want to try single malt finished and rum casks, so they can really, really uh, get creative with it, and we'll have a cool single barrel program on that front. And that'll, that'll be the proof, um, you know, the buyer can actually decide what they want that proof to be. And then lastly, um, not this year, but next year we'll release, uh, it's not going to be called a distiller's edition, we don't know what we're going to call it yet. But more of a, you know, the production team kind of creates something very cool and very limited and allocated in that, in that single malt category and releases it uh, once a year. So we will have those three versions, but the, the one that we're trying today, the standard quintessential uh, is 92 proof.
0: Yeah, that's, it's awesome. I love it. I think Thank it's you. really good stuff. Um, I mean, it's, that's really good. I, I really like that. Um, okay now i want to talk about your the number nine now this is this is interesting to me because a couple of things i know that um you know you start seeing people bands uh celebrities coming out with their own whiskeys and and things like that and but this one was actually named whiskey like was it celebrity whiskey of the year a couple of times
1: uh yeah yeah so so there's actually two different slipknot whiskeys that we have uh and we'll get into that but we've got the number nine uh, small batch, which you have there, and then there's the number nine reserve, and I believe it was the number nine reserve that has won uh, Fred Minnick's Celebrity Whiskey of the Year the last two years running. So, um, yeah, it's getting some some good recognition on that front, that's for sure.
0: But, and that's a good guy to have behind you. You know, Fred Minnick likes it. I mean, that's, you know, he pulls some weight. <laughs> it
1: doesn't hurt. Uh, a, a nice a nice quick quote from Fred Minnick will go a long way. That's
0: sure. it, yeah, it's definitely. That'll, that'll get you some bottles, uh, some yeah. bottles sold. All right, I want to hear, okay, so first and foremost, like, were you a Slipknot fan before you met them and worked with them? And then what was that process like um, getting, getting with Slipknot? Like, did you approach them? Did They approach you? Like, how did that go?
1: Um, Yeah. So uh, good questions there. And I would say on, on the subject of being a Slipknot fan, <laughs> I myself would say yes, but um, Slipknot fans are so hardcore. It, it's hard to even Compare myself to them. Um, I, I work with a number of people that that are like just diehard Slipknot fans, uh, like John or Head Brewer, Mike or First Ship Brewer, um, and so like I I'm nowhere near those guys, or I, I at least wasn't. Um, so I, I would say yes, but just not at their level. And now obviously I, I'm a huge Slipknot fan. I've had the the pleasure of being backstage at a few of their concerts, <clears throat> and uh, the music is amazing, but the show they put on is just incredible. Um, so I. Yes, I was a fan but I've become a, a much much bigger fan as I've gotten to know him.
0: And uh, I have heard I've heard from an entertainment value like that there's not very many like overall just shows that are better than a Slipknot show.
1: I mean th- there's nothing like it. I mean th- they bring out the works and um, I've talked to them before and after a show. I mean a- after a show they're dead. I mean they 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 leave it all on that stage. Um, you know the like uh clown uh, Sean who, who's the head of the band. I mean he's he's torn muscles. He's broken bones. I mean, on stage, just from, just from going so hard. Um, those guys are incredibly hardcore, but a ton of fun to watch them. And yeah, so, uh, getting, getting started with the the project. I mean, they actually did reach out to us. Um, their, their band manager, Bob shot us kind of a, a cold call email. We weren't expecting it. And, um, mentioned the Slipknot's thinking about getting in the world of whiskey and would be curious if we wanted to sit down with them. And obviously, one thing led to another, and we were, we were very excited about the opportunity, because, I mean, Slipknot, not only are they a, a globally famous band, but they're from the state of Iowa, um, and, and so we, you know, we're very excited about the opportunity to partner up with them, and I think it says a lot about who they are as people and as a band. I mean, Slipknot could have called, you know, they could have called Buffalo Trace or, or any, any distillery in the country no would have been happy to work with them, um, but, you know, they called us, and it's because uh, they really appreciate working with Iowans, so, we have that in common Uh, they're incredible people and uh like i said earlier clown uh he he's the one that spearheaded this project he and i have worked uh together a ton on on the blends that we use um he selected the proof had had a major hand in designing the package so uh these guys are involved it's not you know this isn't something that they they put their name on and hope to get checks for i mean they're they're here quite often um they've had a lot to do with the process and it is very much their product i always say that uh while i'm the one you know deciding the blends and stuff like that i'm i'm clown wrote the recipe and i'm cooking to taste i'm just making sure that it is meeting the recipe that clown wrote
0: well, okay so what what kind of mash bill are we working with i see this one is the 90 proof yeah. um, i think the label is really cool like yeah. i think that's i mean it's like one thing i'll say is i mean it, it's very, like, what, what I love is you've got, like, the just the straight black and yellow, like, the corn in the middle. Like, that is a really cool-looking label. I mean, that's going to catch anybody's eye on the shelf.
1: It definitely, it's, it's eye-grabbing. And, I mean, another cool thing about it is that from the label to the product, it is very different than, than you know, anything classic Cedar Ridge. I mean, uh, it's, not, it's not a label that, that matches the other two that you have on the table there. And I really like that, um, that it, that it kind of stands out and distinguishes itself. Um so uh, getting into mash bill um th- this is a blend of bourbon and rye that that's one thing that made this really fun um it is 60% bourbon 40% rye but like I said I'm I'm kind of cooking to taste so it'll if I determine you know it needs a little bit more caramel I'll add a little bit more bourbon if it needs a little bit more spice I'll add a little bit more rye but usually shooting for that 60 40 range and that that was selected by clown himself and um where was i going with that here um, yeah, so it, it was a major challenge for us to, to create a whiskey that, that matched Slipknot's style and, and presence. Um, you know, Cedar Ridge, our whiskeys are a little bit more approachable and inviting. Slipknot's a very bold band. I mean, the, like I said, watching them on stage, those guys get after it. So we couldn't just release our normal whiskey, <clears throat> whiskey in their packaging. We had to do something that was a little bit louder. And that's how we ended up deciding on a bourbon and rye blend. Where you know where a bourbon might get soft, that rye kind of pops in and, and gives it a little bit of uh, a a little bit of, of bold and louder notes. And uh, where that rye is normally a little bit too spicy, that uh, that sweet Iowa corn kind of pops in there and rounds it out. So it really does blend well together, the bourbon and the rye. And like you said, the one you're, you're drinking right now, that's the 90 proof small batch offering. But there is also a 99 uh, proof reserve.
0: Okay, this uh, the the nose on this is very different obviously than the other two. Um yeah, yeah. I mean you, you definitely get that rye spice which I think is great. What's cool too I, and I'm just I like literally just looked over and like you've got three different bottles and they've got three very different shapes even just physically to the bottle themselves. Where like the straight bourbon is, you know, it's kind of like that like wide neck uh on the top. You've got the, like the you're like the, we we're talking about the scotch looking bottle from the from the quintessential and then this one's just kind of round and bold and uh i mean it looks very purposeful and it's pretty cool i really like these Yeah. Um, yeah. but the nose on this is outstanding like it's very like the spice is really cool but it's not a it's not like overwhelming where you get kind of beat up by it um it's just got that really nice spice to it that i think people who like rise uh, are going to really enjoy
1: yeah yeah thanks and that's that's another thing we're going for and we want it to we want it to have a bold nose um that, that is very full but we don't want it to be sharp you know um, and that's kind of a fine line to walk. Um, you want it to be full of flavor and complex, but you don't want it to be, you know, you don't want it to be sharp and, and overly aggressive. So it, it's definitely a tough rope to walk there. Um, but you know, we feel like we've done a pretty good job with it so far. And and I'll, I'll definitely I'll make sure after this that we we send you a bottle of the uh, the 99 proof reserve for you to try too. That's a fun one to have on your shelf.
0: Yeah, I would uh, I would try that one out. Yeah. This is this is really good. But that, that it, that's, I think. So when I first tried rye, just like straight rye, I didn't really care for it. And now I've started to like them a lot more. And I found that I really like, um, high rye bourbons. Um, yes. I've just, I, and I don't know if it's just like, so the sweetness from the corn is really nice, but just having that rye mm-hmm. that kind of comes in and adds the spice to it. Not like a, I think people confuse like the spice for the proof sometimes, Yes. Like the spice and the flavor is very different than just having a higher proof. Um, this is really nice. Cause that, like, I think I feel like that corn kind of offsets the the spice from the rye where you get the spice, but it's not like overwhelming. And then you still get a really good sweetness on the end.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's, I mean, that's exactly what we're going for. We want, we want both those different whiskeys to shine at the same time. You know, we, we don't want it to taste like two different whiskeys in a bottle <laughs> and, and that can happen. It's like, all right, you know, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting a little bourbon on the, on the initial palate, and man, it, it's just, it's just right at the end. Um, that can't happen. So you have to get a nice blend going, I mean, you have to get some nice balance going there, and then you end up with a very uh, full, uh, bold, and, and complex whiskey, but not, not sharp and off balance.
0: No, that, I mean, that's outstanding. I really like, I like the spice and the rye, and then it finishes kind of sweet. Like it's a, it's a very unique finish at the very end. I mean, right after the rye spice. Yeah. I think it's it's a, in a very good way <laughs> it's really good how how challenging is that I mean and again like I don't know if those guys are um, are bourbon fans whiskey fans whatever like how how is it when they walk in and go okay this is what I'm looking for what can you do like how does that how does that process start is it like okay taste this do you like this if you do let's move on to adding some of this or blending that like what what is that process like
1: I mean, yeah, and, and that it's, it's a complex process. I mean, when they come in, you know, we make sure, we make sure things are ready for them. I mean, they're because they're, they're busy guys. Um, and, and we don't want to waste their time or anything like that. So um, it, it becomes a, a, whole, a whole day or two days when they're here. And it's, and it's a ton of fun. But I mean, what we do is we pull a massive amount of barrel samples. And um, actually, I have some here. I um, you know, in these little small bottles. And we'll do all sorts of different um, different trials. We'll try them, you know, alone. We'll try and blend it together. Um, we'll get a lot of reverse osmosis water in there to to dilute to different proofs. And yeah, like like you kind of alluded to. I mean, um, it, it it starts very simple. Like, do you like this or not? I mean, and if you do, we'll move forward with it and try try some blends with that. If you don't, we'll we'll start fresh with a different a different base. I mean, so uh, it, it's always easy to kind of break it down into, uh, into something binary, you know, um, do you like option one or option two? If you like two, we'll build off that and we'll, we'll start blending that and diluting that down to proof. So, um, yeah, it, it's, it's pulling all those different samples and, and having them taste through them and, and just kind of working together. And I, I will say, I mean, clown, um, clown who I work with most of the time on this, you know, he's the kind of guy that if, I mean, if he doesn't know something today and, and you don't see him for a month, next time you see him, he'll almost be an expert in it. I mean, he'll, he's just so incredibly driven. And so, I mean, I, I've watched him really, really evolve, you know, from someone who was, was interested in whiskey and enjoyed whiskey to someone who like now, you know, when, when he's here, I mean, we'll have pretty in-depth conversations on it and and I mean, you know, he'll, he'll know the technical terms and stuff like that. So it's been really, really cool to watch him uh, evolve along with the product that that he's made.
0: And I think, I think that's cool. Like if someone's going to emerge themselves in what they're doing and not just like, Hey dude, we want you to make us a whiskey. I mean, that's so easy. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's, it's really easy to say, Hey, I like, you know, I like this kind of proof and a little bit of spice, but you know, maybe add some wheat to it. Like, yeah. okay. I mean, that, that's easy to do, but to actually like emerge yourself in like what you're doing and learn about it. Like, that's really cool. And you have to kind of respect somebody that's authentic about wanting to do it. Right. I think that's really awesome.
1: Yeah. And that's, I mean, he's very adamant that, you know, this isn't something that, that, you know, okay, we'll, we'll release it. It's got slip mount on it and, you know, and it'll sell because we we have a brand already and, and people will support our brand. I mean, he he's not that kind of guy. I mean, anything he puts his name on, he wants it to be of quality. <laughs> he wants to have control over it. And um you know, if, if, if something's happening that he's not enjoying or not liking, not liking, he will tell you, I mean, he'll, he'll correct it. So, um, I have a ton of respect for him in the way that he does that. It, like you were kind of saying it, any celebrity could easily just use their name to release something and, and, and profit off of it. And that's just not the way that he rolls.
0: And I think what's cool too is you don't have like the front of the package that has, you know, slipknot across the front. Like, yeah. cause then it comes out as just being kind of a cheesy, like gimmicky, you know, slipknot whiskey, you know, like this is actually, I mean, somebody's going to look at this and pick it up and you have to, turn it around and see and read the back of the label to realize it's, it's, it, you know, slipknot associated.
1: Yep. And he was also very adamant about that. So, um, what, one of the first things he told us, I think before we even tried, tried any of the whiskey was, I mean, you know, yes, this is, it's associated with slipknot because that's, that's who we are. But at the same time, I want this to be something that can be appreciated, not just by slipknot fans, but by whiskey fans. And, you know, um, people like, like you and I who geek out about this world of whiskey we can have this product and enjoy it. It's not, you know, it's not geared towards just Slipknot fans. It's, it's the world of whiskey that we're at.
0: And I think a Slipknot fan would love to have this, but I also, because again, like my favorite baseball player had a whiskey, I'd go buy it because it's my favorite baseball player's whiskey, Exactly. you know, but at the same time, like you also want it to be somebody that just likes whiskey. that's going to go, Hey, this is good. You know, it's a good spirit, man. I want to drink this. Yeah. All right. So tell me, future things what do you is there anything in the works that you would like to share um in terms of you know upcoming releases um you know anything i know you're saying you were bottling something right now is there anything else you'd like to share about anything upcoming
1: um yeah i mean nothing nothing too crazy um you know just keep on board and, and, and up to date on the quintessential here i mean each new batch that comes out is is getting better and better and getting a lot of recognition so Um, batch six is getting bottled today it'll it'll be out on the market soon um i I already talked about our bottled and bond which is actually becoming um uh it it, it is a a fourth of july release every year but it's kind of becoming an an allocated bottle that people hunt so um if you see one of those make sure to get your hands on it and then lastly our our single barrel collection of bourbon which like i said earlier um that's one where if I, i find a barrel that i really love i i you know set it aside for extended aging and release it at true cask strength Um, that one to me is our our top of the line as far as bourbons go so um you know keep your eye out for that as well and we we do have some fun stuff um down the road in the future I mean I mentioned that we'll do kind of unique single malt um you know I'll I'll I'll, I'll, I don't know if I'm supposed to but I'll say that we're uh we are going to do a a double oaked bourbon here um to be released later later this year I think this is the first time I've ever, ever even mentioned that but um I don't even know the release date, but we're going to do a double oak bourbon just because we've had so many people uh, request that from us, and that that kind of delicate, approachable bourbon that we we put out, having that oak twice and exposed to two different jars, two different barrels. I think that could do some fun stuff. So yeah, we've got, we got some unique ones down the road.
0: Are you a fan of the double oak stuff personally?
1: Um, I, I've had I've had goods and bads. Yeah. Um, no, I I would say yes, but I mean it it is totally possible to over oak um, and over char whiskey. Um, And and what what happens when you do that is you mask a lot of the other really good flavor profiles in a whiskey. You know, I I like oak and I like char, but I I also want to taste, you know, the caramels and the vanillas. And um, I want to taste what's in the middle and on the finish as opposed to just um, barrel and char the whole way through. So I definitely think that you can do good ones. And and I know there are good ones out there, but um, I mean, I wouldn't just say that if you, if you throw something in two different barrels, it's going to end up good. You still have to understand the balance and, and how to blend.
0: I think that's another one. Like we said, the the finishes and the cask string, I think the double oaked ones, the toasted barrels, I think those are kind of getting out there. And it seems like everybody's coming out with one right now. And like you said, there's really good ones. And there's ones that I'm like, maybe, maybe should have just thrown it out the first time and, and put that in a bottle.
1: Yep. That, that's the hard part. And And I'm once again, getting back to kind of the experiment thing. I mean, you know, you want to keep up with trends, so you, you got to try to to meet those trends, but you don't know if if your whiskey is going to be good or bad, and uh, you know it, it can create some problems down the road um, when you're when you're kind of in uncharted territory like that. Luckily, that- I, I have just because this is such a popular category right now, these these double oaks, um, I have been tasting this one along the way, and I am pretty pleased by it. But you know, I've also been trying it at cask strength and. Um, like we talked about earlier, when you, when you modify the proof and you get things down to whatever, whatever they're going to be bottled at, those flavor profiles can really change. So we'll, we'll see how it shapes up, but I am pretty excited about it personally.
0: Is that something that you take like the straight, the straight bourbon whiskey and put that in, in double, and double and put that into a new barrel? Or is that a, is that a completely different, like mash bill, completely different uh, program that you have?
1: I mean, you know, you, know, you can do either. And I'm, I'm sure there are people that, that modify their mash bill to do it. Um, what we wanted to try was very specific and that that is literally the bottle that you've tried and, and, um, in two fresh barrels. And like I said, the reason why um, I didn't want to change anything for it is because we already have that really approachable bourbon and I wanted to see when, when a, you know aging something in two different barrels, I wanted to see where those notes kind of infiltrate our current bourbon and if um, you know, it's in the right areas or if it ends up kind of like I said masking it. Um, it seems to have gone quite well so far, but uh, you know, the 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 finishing process isn't quite done yet. So we'll have to see how it shapes up.
0: What is what's distribution like for you guys? I mean, I know you mentioned like some of the surrounding states. Are you guys available online? Um, like people that are not close to Iowa or the Midwest. Is there a way for them to get their hands on some of your bottles?
1: Yeah. So uh thanks for asking that. And um you you can purchase our bottles off of our website. We work with a third third party to ship them to you. It's illegal for us to uh, Ship straight straight from the distillery, but we can get you linked up with a third party real easily to ship. Um, And then, as far as actual distribution, you know, physically having our bottles on shelves, our our key states um, is obviously Iowa and any state that touches Iowa. That's we're trying to establish ourselves in the Midwest. We believe that our whiskey has kind of a midwestern style and flavor profile to it that would be enjoyed by Midwesterners. So that's really what we're going for, and that's where we're putting sales reps and actually getting distribution to, you know, and I, but I will say we, we absolutely um, do have some, some product out in Texas, California, I'm um, a little bit in Florida. So it, it is pretty spotty, but we're really trying to hammer that Midwest and, and make sure that anyone outside of the Midwest that wants it can also access it from our website. So that's what we're doing right now.
0: I think that's huge, man, because I I think there's, there's, and I fully agree. Like you have to hit that market of where you're at. I mean, it's a unique product that you have in terms of being in Iowa. And I think that's a great area to be in and those surrounding States, but you know, like this is good whiskey and you want people in other areas to have access to it. So uh, there's a lot of places that you can't, there's just no access. Like you have to hope you're traveling. And I know that guys I work with that, that travel around, um, have been able to find some craft distilleries, that are while they're out on their travels that they can't find when they're in, you know, Arizona or California. Uh, so that part's really nice. So it's cool that, that that's, you can buy it online.
1: Yeah, I mean, exactly. And so um, the, the online thing helps a lot because then, I mean, like w- we used to try to distribute all over the place and I mean, it became very inefficient and uh, it, it's hard, you know, the economics get very difficult. I mean, like if we want, you know, if we want to sell in Louisiana, well, to, to have a, a rep out there, it is a lot, um, you know, and then, to not have a rep out there it means we have to travel back and forth constantly. And, and you just can't really get the wheels turning um, as, as a smaller business. I mean, it takes a lot in order to do that. So online really helps. And I mean, we're really trying to own the Midwest because kind of like you were getting at what we used to describe is we always say, you know, we, we have to, we have to win the home games before we can win the away games. And before people in, you know, in Nevada, you know, know about our product, we have to establish ourselves here. I mean, We have to make sure everyone in the Midwest knows who we are for anyone in a a different region to know who we are. So that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to win those home games before we uh, start tackling the away games.
0: Yeah. That makes total sense. I, yeah, I'm with you there. Um, Social media, where, where can people find you guys on social media? What's the best way to get in contact with you or or check out what you guys are releasing?
1: Yeah, we're, we're on uh, all modes of social media. So, um, you know, we're usually just Cedar Ridge on Twitter or um, on Instagram rather. I know we're Cedar Ridge, Iowa. So definitely check us out there. Um, you know, I, I do. I run my own little page, um, Murphy.Quint uh, that that's entirely um, Cedar Ridge production stuff. Just kind of some behind behind the scenes stuff. Um, you know, I, I the reason I started doing that is, um, you know, to kind of make a baseball analogy. I you know I don't I don't always just want to see a picture of my favorite baseball players on the field. I kind of want to see what they're doing in the clubhouse, or you know, what they're doing you know, with no each other outside of the baseball world, and so. I kind of started my own little page to, to have some of that stuff. So check that out. And um, yeah, yeah, definitely, um, definitely check out our website, uh, Cedar Ridge, um, yep, CedarRidgeWhiskey.com. You can order the product there. You can learn a little bit more about us. And the most important thing you can do is, is just get here. Um, please, please come to Iowa in general and check it out. It's a, it's a beautiful state. And while you're here, swing out to Cedar Ridge. Uh, we've got a ton going on out here. Uh, a really good uh, restaurant, tasting bar, um, a good tour program. So come check us out.
0: That was my last question. Are you guys? You guys are doing tours and everything. Like you guys have people coming in and checking out the distillery and, like you said, restaurant and everything.
1: Yep. So um, you know, the we're we're fully back open um, you know, post COVID here. So you can book tours and everything. Um, and that that's a huge part of our business. Uh, we get over a hundred thousand visitors here a year. So um, we try to make sure that we get all of them on a tour to come see. You know, not only how we're distilling and stuff but mainly how we're aging our product and the impacts that that have on it so um that that really helps you know help build the brand and uh you know so people can come out and try our wood-fired pizzas but also come see how we're making the whiskey and it kind of ties everything together
0: that's awesome now risk uh i i, I... If I'm ever out in Iowa, I'm coming by because this is awesome. I appreciate it. This is I, great.
1: I hope you do, man. We'll do a private tour. We'll we'll pop open some barrels and we'll make a day of it.
0: Let's go. Sounds great. Murphy, thanks so much for uh, jumping on here with me today. And thanks for, for sending these bottles my way. I really appreciate it.
1: Hey, thanks for having me on. Good chat with you.
0: All right. Take care.